0: Well, good morning. You know, it's awfully easy these days to feel rather small and and insignificant. You know, with the internet and with social media, it is, it's just impossible not to be aware of others who do whatever it is that you do, but who do it better, who do it faster, who do it bigger, whatever. Few of us bake like those British people. And not many of us sing like that guy in the mask. Let's be honest. You and I, we are more likely to post something that's a Pinterest fail than we are something that is Pinterest worthy. And our most likely YouTube fame, well, that would probably come through our involvement in a blooper reel of some sort. Google it. No matter what it is that you're good at, someone out there is smarter, faster, stronger, whatever. You know, there is a good side to this dynamic. These days, fewer of us live with the delusion of our own impressiveness. Of course, the downside is that so many of us feel like we don't really have anything to contribute that we don't have value, that we just don't matter. Statistically, it's doubtful that any of us are going to become world shakers, at least not in the eyes of this world. I doubt any of us will be richer than Bill Gates, smarter than Elon Musk, or more famous than Oprah, or more well-liked than Bob Ross. But, and this is part of the beauty of the gospel, Every last one of us can make a bigger difference than Gates, Musk, Oprah, or even Bob Ross. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world. He's talking about us to shame the strong. And God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. You and I, if we submit amidst our weakness and brokenness, brokenness. if we submit ourselves to Christ, he will take us and he will heal us and he will strengthen us in himself and through us, he will do things that truly matter. And not just things in this life, but things that will matter for all of eternity. You and I, no, no matter who you are, we can make a difference. We can make a significant impact on eternity, and no matter what your skills are, no matter how the world around you sees you, no matter how broken you are, if you will give yourself unreservedly to Christ, he will pour himself into you and make you a difference maker. Well, that's exactly what I see in our passage this morning. So grab your Bibles and do this, open them up to Luke, chapter 8. We're going to look at just the the first three verses of this chapter, Luke chapter 8, the gospel of Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Let me read our text. You can follow along in your own Bible. Luke writes, afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for this opportunity to look at it, and to allow it to speak to our hearts. And Father, this morning, I ask that you would do something that we can't do, that God, even though we are not here together, even though so many are are watching on screens at home, that, that you would create a dynamic by the work of your spirit where your word speaks to our hearts where we are no longer just watching a service, but we are hearing from God and we are responding to God. God, I pray that you would allow us to put all else aside and to focus our minds and our hearts upon you, to listen to you and to respond to you. Work in this time, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where we pick up this morning in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is entering a new phase, a new season of his ministry. You know, we can no, really, we can no longer really say that we are reading about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He is now quite well known throughout Judea and Galilee. There are large crowds that often gather to hear him teach or to see him heal. He has even chosen from amongst his many followers 12 whom he has designated to be his apostles or his messengers. And now as we read here, he is embarking on a second tour of the towns and villages of Galilee. Verse 1 tells us afterward he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. You know, what Jesus is doing here, it's so different from what I think we would normally expect. He had begun his ministry in the rural villages of Galilee, but then he had moved to the larger town of Capernaum, and there he had found success, winning over some of the Gentile leaders. And And one of the religious leaders had even invited him over for dinner. You know, the next logical step would have been for him to go to Jerusalem. Uh, That's where the heart of the nation was. Uh, That's where the center of their faith was. That's where the power was. It was there that we find the temple and the Sanhedrin. Uh, That's where anything that was religiously significant had to start. That is where Jesus, you would think, would have sought out his apostles amongst the well-educated and the religiously invested and the, the powerful. But instead, Jesus spends most of his ministry in rural Galilee, teaching the common people, the fishermen, the farmers and the shepherds, And from amongst them, he calls those who will become his apostles. Jesus frames it this way in Matthew 11. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Jesus is saying this, he was was fine with choosing common, uneducated, untrained men, men who had received him with the openness of a child. And with them by his side, he spoke to and he sought after anyone and everyone who would listen and who would genuinely respond to him. Jesus chose to teach about the kingdom of God amongst farmers and fishermen in Galilee rather than argue with the Pharisees and the priests there in Jerusalem. You see, Jesus wasn't seeking to gain followers who had powerful positions. He was seeking to gain a powerful position in the hearts of his followers. In fact, after the crucifixion and resurrection, uh, the religious leaders, as stunned by the response of Jesus' followers, said this in Acts chapter 4, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, what they noticed about Peter and John wasn't their intellect or their eloquent speech. But rather, what they noticed was that it was clear that they had been with Jesus. They had been changed by him. They had been shaped by him because they had submitted themselves to him. That's what Jesus was after. He wasn't after the powerful. He wasn't after the accomplished men. But he was after those who would let him shape them. You know, you and I, you and I may not be terribly significant in the view of the world around us. We may not be the cream of the crop scholastically. We may not impress anyone with our accomplishments or our potential. But if we will respond to, if we will surrender wholeheartedly to the Savior, if we will submit ourselves to him, if we will allow him to shape us, then we too will be used by him to do things of eternal import. Verse two, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. So as Jesus went from village to village uh, with his motley crew of followers made up not only of fishermen and others from around Galilee, but quite unusually, which also included some women. Culturally, within the Gentile, and unfortunately, even amongst the Jewish world, women in that day were treated very poorly. They were viewed as less valuable, as less important than men. Even God's people had drifted away from the vital truth communicated to us in creation, that both man and woman were made in the image of God. They forgot what scripture says so clearly in Genesis chapter one. There in verse 27, it says this, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. And then listen to this, he created them male and female. You see, God is speaking of both man and woman when he talks about creating them in his image. Both men and women are created in the image of God. But God's people, they had deviated from the the clear equality of worth that is communicated in Scripture. And and they twisted the the differences that are, are shown there in role and design into a difference of value. So much so that the The rabbis of Jesus' day would not have taught a woman. They wouldn't even even have allowed a woman to become a follower. They even prayed every day, thanking God that he had not made them a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. But Jesus wasn't like that. He valued and he honored women. He taught them. And this value of Christ was clearly passed on to the early church. You know, when it comes to our standing in Christ, Galatians chapter 3, there in verse 28, Paul the Apostle says this, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, even in our day, we've got to make sure that we never allow the difference in roles that scripture lays out for men and women and mandating that those who serve as elders or pastors in the church be men. We can't let that difference in roles be communicated or practiced in such a way that devalues or diminishes women or their service. Even as we try to encourage men to take up the lead spiritually, we cannot fail at the same time to equally value women as they serve. You know, I'm realizing that I'm not as sensitive to this as I need to be. And guys, if you're wondering what all the fuss is about, then you too need to be more aware and more watchful for this dynamic. It's not the attitude that Jesus had. Well, Luke not only mentions these women who were followers of his, but he honors them by recording their names and their contributions. First, partway through verse two, there was Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. You know, that's all we know about Mary Magdalene, other than the fact that she was the first to see the risen Lord. Uh, There is absolutely no biblical evidence to support the tradition, which, by the way, started in the 6th century, that Mary had been a prostitute, and nor is there any reason to connect Mary with the sinful woman that's talked about in chapter 7. Luke makes no connection, neither should we. Nor is there any evidence whatsoever to support the the nonsense, the, the more modern fictions popularized by heretical movies and novels. What we do know is that Mary had been freed from seven demons. Now, that's pretty intense. She had been severely messed up. And yet, because she surrendered to Jesus, because she let him shape her, she was used of God mightily. And she was given the honor, the incredible honor of being the first, the first to see Jesus risen victorious over death. What an amazing and encouraging thing this is. Don't you sometimes feel that, well, you're just too messed up to ever be used by God in any significant way? Hey, Here's proof that you're not too far gone, that you haven't blown it too badly. Here is a woman who had been possessed by seven demons. But when she gave herself to Jesus, she became, as Paul would, would say, a new creation. The old had passed away and the new had come. What she was before didn't matter anymore because she was new in Christ. You know what, friends? What you were before doesn't matter anymore if you are in Christ. One of the the great themes in Luke's gospel is Jesus rescuing the outcasts. In Luke, Jesus touches the leper's He forgives sinners. He heals a Gentile servant. He calls a tax collector to come and follow him. He delivers the demonized, the rejected ones, the hopeless, and he will rescue you. He will rescue you if you will turn to him. Oh, why would you not turn to him? Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Surrender yourself to him. Confess your sin to him. Ask him to forgive you. Let him fill you with his Holy Spirit. Receive his forgiveness and his cleansing, and you too can become new. Oh, like Mary, who had been possessed by seven demons, but yet was made new and was given a role of significance in the resurrection of the Savior. You too can be made new, can be cleansed, forgiven, and can be used greatly by God. Next in verse three, we read about Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Now this woman would have been a part of the royal court of Herod Her husband was the steward, the manager who was in charge of all of Herod's wealth. And yet here she is, a part of the group following Jesus. Can you just see this woman of privilege sitting there beside Mary who had been freed from seven demons? That is part of the beauty of the church. We are all so very, very different from each other. And yet... You and I, we are called to be one body, each part appreciating the others. Picture this, if you will. A younger me, wearing khakis, an Oxford cloth button-down dress shirt, a navy blazer, and penny loafers, most likely. And here I am hanging out literally sitting on a chopped Harley with ape hanger handlebars, just hanging out with some of my brothers in Christ who just happened to be wearing leather jackets, sleeveless T-shirts, and more tattoos than you can count. That was a scene years ago when one of the ministries that I was helping with was a Christian biker club, the Soul Patrol. Those guys, they're my brothers in Christ. And every once in a while, I run into one of them. And it's always funny to watch people's reaction because we don't match, but we love each other. We love each other because we're brothers in Christ. And friends, that's how it's supposed to be. Within the body of Christ, there is no place for cliques. There is no place for exclusive groups. Oh sure, you won't know everyone, you won't be close to everyone, but everyone has got to be welcomed into the circle. I don't think Jesus would have let Joanna shun Mary, and I don't think he would have let Simon the Zealot bully Matthew the tax collector. As Paul says in Romans 12, 16, we are to live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, he says, associate with the humble. Finally, partway through verse three, we read about Susanna, about whom, by the way, we know nothing (laughs) other than this. She and many others who were supporting Jesus and the disciples from their possessions. It seems that specifically there were some wealthy women who provided for Jesus and for his disciples financially. Now, think about that for a moment. This was not a practical necessity. Jesus could have very simply, miraculously provided for all that they needed. But he didn't. He didn't. He chose instead in humility to allow others to provide for him. And he chooses that means of support for his work today as well. He invites us, you and me, to provide for his work out of what he has given us. The Lord chooses to leave the funding of his work up to the generosity of his people. And it is our privilege and our duty to support God's work. To whatever degree God has given us the ability. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this about how we should give, that the person who sows generously will also reap generously, and each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make grace overflow to you so that in every way, having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Well, let's remember what we've seen in these three short verses. First of all, Jesus chooses to invest, and not in those who are capable or powerful, but rather, he chooses those who, though they may be powerless or even broken, yet they are responsive to him. They are submitting themselves to him. Those are the ones he chooses to work through. So don't worry about your lack. Don't be concerned about your inabilities. Just give yourself wholly. Give yourself unreservedly to the Lord and watch what he will do. Secondly, Jesus elevates those who are broken to wholeness. He values the undervalued. The outcasts are the ones that he welcomes in. And in him, we are all treasured and honored. Find your worth in Christ and treat others with the worth that Christ imbues into them. Thirdly, he calls us all to worship him together as one body. As one body, we are to worship him. And he gives each one of us ways to serve him and to be useful to him. Oh, for Mary, she was the first to witness the resurrection, but for others, it was the support of the ministry of Jesus that was their task. He gives us each a significant role to play. No matter what this world thinks of you, the Lord has a role for you to play. For some of us, our role will be like that of Mary. We will witness to having personally encountered the risen Lord. We will tell others about the Savior who has grabbed hold of us. And like Susanna, we will support his work. No matter who we are, no matter how broken we are, no matter how rejected by this world we are, if we will surrender ourselves unreservedly to the Savior, he will not only save us, He will not only cleanse us, forgive us. He will use us. He will equip us. And he will work through us to accomplish what only he can do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this brief passage that is just so powerfully full of truth for us. God, I pray that even in the midst of these strange times in which we are living, that because we are people who are fully submitted to you, that you would be free to work through us, despite the the restrictions of, of our day and of our circumstance, that you would be working powerfully through us as your church, as those who belong to you, as your ambassadors. God, that your kingdom would be advancing that your kingdom would be gaining glory. And God, that we would be involved in it, each of us, every one of us, not one too far gone, not one who is incapable, because you indwell us. And that is all that is necessary for you to use us and for you to work and to accomplish what you desire. God, work that in us. Work that in us. Use us. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.